test, test, one, two, three. You know who I be. It's your boy, Don Wall, a.k.a. Moral SP. Welcome to Embrace Matters of Race podcast. I'm your host, and uh, I'm here with the homie Carl, and we are back. It's been a little. It's been a little moment. It's been a little time, Carl. How you feel, oh, bro? I missed. I missed you. I mean, I, I see you, but I missed you. <laughs> At least the pixels. If, yeah, if if you're listening and if you've been rocking with us, me and Carl see each other all the time on almost almost weekly, de- definitely weekly basis, but almost daily basis. I would say. Um, we just take a we just took a long necessary break, but we are finally back. Uh, trying to teach you uh, some things are are different. I would say. Um, it may seem like people got fired off of this podcast, but that's not true. (laughs) That's not true. Team Embrace is always the same group of individuals. Uh, we're just doing things a little bit different, uh, moving forward. Uh, so you'll still see, uh, Jay from time to time, he'll still come and do the hit pick episodes for you and we'll break down movies. Uh, and at some point you might see Kelly, Kelly Jane as well, um, moving forward, but we still got me, still got Carl. We're still going to come and teach you guys something. So um, let's get into it, man. The, I wanted to take time to reflect on the monuments. It was an episode that we had back in the day, and it got messed up. Mm-hmm. Um, and we always talked about revisiting it. Um, so I wanted to talk about that. So we, we actually, we have a special guest for you guys today. It's a good friend, and she's also our executive producer uh, she keeps the lights on. She's been paying and bankrolling everything. Uh, super important to the podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, put put your hands together for Gabriella Santana. Hello, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here. Very excited. <laughs> Welcome. Thank you. Welcome. So uh, Gabriella is here to teach us everything there is to know about monuments because she's um, an expert, right? Am I right? Um, I wouldn't say an expert, but I do think I have done my research in the last year or so, and I'm excited to have oh, this conversation. So there's that. I was just trying to put you on the spot. That's what it was. <laughs> Way to be so humble. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We have Gabriella here because she's, uh, she's done episodes on the monuments already. Um, and we just, we thought she'd be a great addition to this episode to help us flesh out this, this topic. Um, but first we have a shout out. Shout out goes to Pig and Brew on 1313 Hull Street. Pig and Brew is well known for its great service and friendly staff that is always ready to help you. This place provides you with a great choice of dishes at an affordable price. The divine decor and exotic atmosphere lets visitors feel relaxed here. Their slogan is best barbecue south of the James and they live up to the name check out pig and brew the next time you get hungry solid yeah have you had pig and brew carl i was sitting across from you (laughs) (laughs) they don't know they they don't okay y'all no they do you're listening me and carl had lunch at pig and brew one time that's how it's actually uh not far from where i live it's in manchester it's it's good food y'all i'm telling you you need to check out pig and brew um but yeah, let's get into it. I don't want to waste no more time. Um, we're going to give Gabriella the floor. Gabriella, what is America's obsession with the statues and monuments? Hmm. Uh, very question that I've been trying to figure out for quite a while. Um, 
I will just start with saying that for me personally, I kind of grew numb to seeing monuments. Like I just normalized their very existence. You know, I, for, for instance, I grew up in a town where it's like very colonial in Williamsburg, Virginia. And so, yeah, seeing Jamestown settlement, Yorktown settlement every single, every single day, basically, um, it kind of was just like racism was always looming or like the, I guess the legacy of it in small ways. And so, yeah, I just, I didn't really think about it, but when I started to dwell into, um, you know, we live in Richmond and these monuments were just here on this like big prominent street, um, with like million dollar homes and they were like, you know, pristine, pristinely kept and all these things. Um, it did make me wonder sometimes, but like I said, I, I normalized it. I think a lot of people, especially people of color have just like been numb, um, like look the other way kind of thing, because these are the things that our country is accepted for so long. Um, yeah. I think when we talk about the country as a whole, um, outside of just the city of Richmond or outside of just like my hometown, I think about, you know, that there's almost, there's seven, almost over 700 Confederate monuments specifically Mm. in, in the United States. And as I was looking further into that, it's really interesting that it's spread over 31 states. So plus a district of Columbia, Columbia, that's like exceeding the fact that there's 11 confederate states so what does that tell you about this legacy and why was it so um i guess important to keep in so many states like you're talking about california like what on earth would confederate monuments have why would they need to be in california right was california even a state during the 1800s i don't think it was i'm not well it probably was actually (laughs) I think it might have been. Okay. But or we might have stole it from from Spain by then or 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 just the natives yeah. that were there, you know. That I'm not sense. I'm not sure 100%. Um but to get into that to answer that question, I am not 100% sure the obsession. I mean, there's so many rabbit holes you can go down. There's so many different defenses to it and and um objections. And so, yeah, I think that's kind of where I have come to. It's not really one answer because it doesn't really make logical sense while they're here, you know, so. I get that. I get that. You bring up a a great point, Uh, just spreading out all of uh, looking at all of America and how many are up, Um, but specifically um, coming into Virginia, specifically coming in, zeroing into Richmond. Um, you know, how, how did they, how did they start in Richmond? When did they go up in Richmond? Um, so in Richmond, um, the civil war ended in 1865, right? And Mm -hmm. most of the monuments here didn't go up till, you know, we're talking like 1900s, 1920s, um, in, in between 1890s and 1950s were when the most went up around the country and the, well, that's the era of Jim Crow. Um, but in Richmond, it was, you know, 1900, 1920s. 
Um, and that was interesting because, as you can see, that's almost, what, 60-plus years after this war. Most of the people fighting in it um, were probably not even here. Uh, so right. you have to ask the question, then, who was really um, spearheading this all? Like, who was making sure that this was going up? Who was putting the funding in? Um, and when you look for those answers, it was a lot of um, like wealthy white women, like the daughters of the Confederacy you can think of, um, who were really gunning for these monuments to go up um, to keep, to hold on and keep, keep this legacy living and alive. Um, and it worked. It's, they, got, yeah. they went up. Yeah, so you said the Daughters of Confederacy. What what was their purpose? Um, so basically, you know, thinking about the Lost Clause, um, which is essentially just this, I, I guess it's an ideal or ideology that yeah. um, Southerners, a lot of Southerners had about um, the Civil War and the end of it. You know, they lost um, to the Union or... Yeah, well, they lost the Civil War. And um, so, you know, they were going through a lot of poverty at the time. You have industrialization um, coming in. Northern states are doing well. Um, And a lot of Southerners, especially, well, white Southerners felt like they were robbed. Um, Robbed of, you know, having income from slaves um, Mm -hmm. and also just like basically their economy took a hit um yeah. and then so you and also because of the the civil war there was a lot of damage as well going through reconstruction there was just a lot of debris and brokenness you know everything was kind of in, in tatters so yeah i can understand that mindset exactly um and then you have the daughters of confederacy who you know were really married to this idea that they were supposed to almost like they had the right to have slaves or the luxury um, that came with being slave owners and, um, you know, having more privileges. And because after the Civil War, you know, sometimes the misconception can be that um, black people in America um, had no way. Like they couldn't figure out. Of course, there were definitely limitations, obviously. But especially in the city of Richmond, you know, like black people in the black community, think of Jackson Ward, um, Maggie L. Walker, like all of these people were trying to pave their own way and really like making their own community and um, building each other up. And so you kind of have this threat arising that, you know, black people didn't, didn't only can only thrive by the hands of white people. Um, so I think in a lot of ways, the Daughters of Confederacy um, wanted to just prolong the ideas of white supremacy um, because they saw that threat looming in the future. Mm. Was gotcha. this this idea of white supremacy palpable? Like, were they were they intent on being supreme as a race rather than today when we see or identify white supremacy? It's something more. Uh, subversive than uh, than the obvious or, or blatant. Yeah, I think um, in a lot of ways it was. Well, I can't. I, I'm I'm no daughters of Confederacy, so I can't exactly speak for them. But 
I think in a lot of ways they did think that they were superior, you know, back to being feeling like they were robbed from this um, basically ideal that they had been taught and passed down their whole lives. Um, like, why shouldn't I, you know, have a plantation or why shouldn't I um, benefit off of the backs of slaves? This is what's been normal to me. So I think I think it was more palpable but i but then to say after the civil war when that was completely not an option anymore um i think they definitely took took it into their own hands to make things make things subverse in the way that they could um or not subverse but it, it was pretty blatant actually i take that back blatant and as as um the monuments um go like putting those up decades after the civil war were, were, mm. was saying something it wasn't saying you know we want to just keep this memory alive we want black people or people of color to know that we are still hovering over you over you and that um you know the legacy of this war is still alive and thriving in a lot of people's minds and hearts yeah and um even you know talking about or thinking about what was going on in the country during these spikes with the monuments going up, uh, which is really important if you're listening out there to think like, you know, what was going on in the country when these monuments were being constructed is really important because it paints a picture of what the motivation was. Um, and, you know, studies are, studies are showing that, you know, there were a lot of lynchings in the early um, 1900s. Um, you know, the, the lynching number was spiking every year um, and stuff like that. I know, I'm sure that uh, Gabriella can speak more to that as well. Yeah, I will say that, um, like I like I said, and like you even said, it during the period um, was Jim Crow, essentially, is when the spike happened. Mm -hmm. So you're talking going from emancipation um, and then this tick upward you know in in retrospect it's a slow tick for for black americans um in in terms of prosperity but there was an upward tick of um banding together and community and unity um and going back to the thread of that jim crow then arise arises and it basically basically as we know just sets limitations and, and rules and um really just breaks apart um, a lot of what was being built. So, um, yeah, when you think about the time that these monuments started to really go up, it's it's when all of this breaking down is happening um, and mm. intentional breaking down. And like you said, lynchings rising. And yeah, when you think massacres, about... Massacres like the Tulsa, uh, Tulsa massacre happened during that time. Yeah. As well. Summer of Sam. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I think even this, I think even the black, black wall street, is that the Tulsa run, right? Yeah. Yeah. That being, that's talking about just, just prosperity and growth being totally, you know, cut down. Um, I think another interesting thing is there's even, um, I was looking at when I was first looking into the monuments in Richmond specifically, um, seeing how the Robert E. Lee statue that went up 
was right beside a tobacco field. It was, you know, didn't have all the houses there yet, but thinking about how that was such a cash crop and just like the, I guess the irony or not irony, but just the symbolism in that too, or what that meant to be going up right beside that um, is really just a, like studying imagery to think about. And it shows a lot about the mindset, I think, that they were still in when these things were erected. Yeah, most definitely. So how do you think they impacted the communities that they were constructed in? I can only imagine what that must felt like. In my in my podcast, I I found out that I think it was almost more than 15,000 um, veterans of the Civil War and also like family members came out to see that monument going up. And so to think about just how there was such a division in support, probably like there was so many white people <laughs> that blatantly supported this figure going up this idol, you know, and then to see probably the black community feeling really what places this have here. Um, I can only imagine, you know, just the, disappointment that had for Mm -hmm. um, communities of color and thinking of where their ancestors were only a few decades ago and what does this symbol what does this symbolize for me in this community yeah i can i can imagine that um you know when they were constructed it also just kind of was like a banner or you know, a warning of like, hey, you don't belong here in this neighborhood, you know, like, you know, you're not allowed to buy a house here, you know, you're, you're not welcome in this society um, around here, you know, Um, it just seemed like kind of a precursor to redlining, you know, kind of regulating where African Americans were, especially during Jim Crow, where it was separate, but quote unquote equal, um, it was it was even written into the the bylaws of those communities that people with Negroes of blood of the Negroes couldn't be uh, purchasing property or uh, raising dwellings there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, like you said, it was very blatant. Um, but mm-hmm. I think it just speaks of like the extra mile that they felt like they needed to take. They, as in, um, like white Southerners, and I mean across the country, not not even in just Southern states. Hmm. What type of impact do you think they had today before they came down Um, in Richmond? Came down in Richmond. What kind of impact did they have in like present day? Yeah, like before the summer. I mean, I know for, I can just share for myself. uh, Like you said, I was just kind of numb to it. Like it just seemed like, hey, this is Richmond, Virginia. This is good old Virginia. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, capital of the South, you know, um, and they have their monuments, you know, and when people from with friends from other states would come visit, they, you know, and we drove past them, they'd be like, hmm, hmm. wow, yeah. you know, they, they would notice it. But for me, I would just drive. Pa- I mean, countless times driving past these monuments. Mm-hmm. Um, Every year people yeah. ran the monument 10K around them. Right. Like they were being celebrated still. <laughs> right. Uh, but something changed. Something changed 
uh, in the summer of 2020. Um, and the monuments became a target, a target point, mm-hmm. uh, a focus point, if you will. What do you think the cause was that they came down? Like, what do you think uh, is really there when we talk about them finally coming down? Yeah, I think, you know, I've spent a lot of time um, really trying to answer that for myself, thinking, like you said, it being numb. Um, and even for myself, like going to Virginia Commonwealth University and that Monument Avenue turns into Franklin Street all of a sudden. And so yeah. it's like this cutoff point, but it's not actually because it's the same street. Uh, I think the only difference is that cobblestone cobblestone turns into pavement. So if you use that like as a weird metaphor, it was like old becomes like this new and pretty liberal campus. And so I think for yeah. myself, it was just like this weird division of two separate worlds almost um, living on one street. And so when I like, I think, I think and also it's important to note that for years, even decades, people have been trying to pull these monuments off of, off Mm -hmm. of Monument Avenue. Like this isn't, you know, I think we can look at the summer of 2020 as a catalyst for monuments coming down across the country, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but the fight for getting monuments down, you know, started decades ago. Um, I remember, you know, seeing graffiti uh, starting to show up when I first got to, got got to campus for five years ago now, um, and it would be like a spray, and the next day the city would come and you know wash it away. So there's mm-hmm. always been a rebuttal. Um, I think, like you said, the summer of 2020, um, you know, when this when the country and the world saw George Floyd being mor- murdered on on May 25th, it was, as everyone said, a reckoning. Literally, I felt like, for me, it felt like, you know, the, like the earth split open and everything started falling in. Um, and when it came to, to race, it was just like, you couldn't unsee it anymore. You couldn't unsee basically these idols of um, white supremacy anymore. And for Richmonders, I know we just cried out you know, protest, um, graffiti, all of these things, it was unavoidable. Yeah, it was, um, it's definitely a market history for me, you know, um, actually living something that I only heard stories about from my, my parents, my, my grandparents and great grandparents, you know, they've lived through, you know, protests, marches and stuff like that, the sixties, on back, you know, um, so that for, for that to happen, you know, in my time, I'm like, wow, it, it, it instantly connects me to heritage, to lineage, it seems, you know, it's like an everlasting struggle that it connects me to, um, which, uh, I don't know, for me, it's very grounding. Mm-hmm. It's grounding. Um, but, uh, Here's a here's a different question, um, and this is something I'm I'm wrestling with y'all. I'm wrestling with it. Are there any statues or monuments that should stay up? Because we took down the quote unquote bad monuments or the monuments that were constructed for racist 
um, or, you know, those, you know, people who were for white supremacy, you know. Um, but there's also monuments, you know, that I know that on Brown's Island, there was, you know, a monument constructed of um, a slave and a slave woman, a slave mm-hmm. male and a slave woman. Um, should that stay? Is that something that should be up there? Um, it doesn't, I don't think that necessarily speaks against white people. Um, just my opinion. Like, yeah. that monument doesn't speak against white people like these other monuments spoke against black people uh, or black and brown people. Um, but yeah, like, you know, what should monuments and statues stay up or should we do away with, with all of them? It's a good question. And I think the other question that goes along with that is like, who, who is that monument of, you know, the, the man and the woman on Brown's Island, mm-hmm. it's not a specific individual, right? right? It's representing, it's a simple symbol of a time and period and a condition of our country. Mm-hmm. And that was, a, that was an oppressive time. Yeah. Um, and Brown's Island is a, is a great place for it because a lot of that oppression happened there. Right. Um, but your question is like, what should stay, what should go? I think m- my feeling is who wants it to stay and who wants it to go and why these monuments came down because they were oppressive symbols you know, of a, of a lost cause. True. And they were glorifying people. Yeah. Which mm-hmm. our country does a lot of yeah. glorifying people. Um, yeah. And I mean, I kind of, I definitely agree. I was thinking of, uh, I was thinking of scripture in Leviticus, Leviticus mm. 26 about, it says, you shall not make idols for yourself or wreck an image or pillar, and you shall not set up a figured stone in your land to bow down to, for I am the Lord your God. And, you know, before the monuments, the Confederate monuments went down, I really had like this, it's just weird to think that, you know, the Confederacy kind of um, banded together with, you know, christianity and Mm -hmm. and then looking at scriptures like this it's like if you read that there's no cause for this monument to go up um it kind of doesn't it's hypocritical uh basically Uh, (laughs) it doesn't really make a lot of sense um so when i think about monuments like the it's the emancipation um monument i think i I think it's called emancipation something on bronze island that you spoke of um Mm -hmm. i think it's like you said carl like not specific people um and it's more symbolic towards um a a period and a time yeah um, rather than individuals um or even people like yeah individuals with names um and in that way i feel like it becomes more like a sculpture of art um, yeah, just like a large sculpture of art, but that's my opinion. Yeah, I, I think that's where I settled as well. Just like you guys, um, it's called the Emancipation of Freedom Monument, and uh, it's kind of like something I read about what should happen to the Robert E. Lee uh, Monument um, because 
I mean, even before it came down, I was like, they should just keep it like that. Keep the graffiti on there. Uh, at nighttime, they can do visuals or, you know, water or something. Or if they take it down, you know, you they make a fountain and put the, you know, you can you can show faces on the water or something. Do something artistic about it or with it. I thought um, that was a good idea, too. Yeah. It's, it's just, I think the experience of what happened should be remembered. You know, the the lessons or how we came together, like that should be remembered. Um, but not people, you know, um, I think people, you know, we, we come and go, we're, we're like the grass. We're here today and gone tomorrow. People not being remembered or people not being glorified. What do you think? What do you, Just what do you mean? People there? not being glorified mm-hmm. as if we're in infallible, you know, yeah. as if we're, you know, higher than or above, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Robert E. Lee, I'm sure the man probably did some good things, but he was remembered mostly by people for the bad things that he did, you know, and we all have good and bad things about our character. And this is, you know, I'm getting into why this is all important. If you're listening, this is important because, you know, monuments to people, people have flaws. So no matter how much you may revere that person, somebody else may have a problem with that person, to be honest with you. That person might have righted you, but wronged someone else. And that causes disunity and dissension between peoples. And what we're striving for here in this country, in this city, on this podcast is unity. We're trying to unite people. And we can't do that with figures that bring about disunity. Mm-hmm. Um it's important to to know these things and know the history behind it and to really dig deep and ask yourself the question, why is it important to you? Why are these monuments or these uh, statues and figures to these people important to you? Is it, is it the monument or people's feelings? What's more important? I, I would pose the question, what should be done? What do you think should be done as a listener? What do you think should be done? What do you think the best course of action is? I would love to hear your thoughts. You know, I would love to hear you guys' thoughts out there. Um, I'm sure Carl does too. And Gabriella, this is a great conversation. And we could talk forever about these things forever. We can go on and on and on about the ins and outs. Uh, if we go, if we go real deep, you know, we can really talk about how God feels about these uh, man-made statues, mm-hmm. uh, you know, cause they're not glorifying him, which ultimately that's what we're here to do. So I think that about does it for this is monumental. Gabby, do you have any you have any things you want to plug since you know? Um, do I have any things I want to plug? Not necessarily. I stay try to stay away from social media <laughs> as much as possible. <laughs> um, but if I do in the future, I will. But my name's Gabriella Santana. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me <laughs> this conversation. Oh, yeah, this won't be the last time y'all hear Gabriella on this podcast. Believe that. Uh, and your IG is in the show notes, by the way. Um, yeah. so, <laughs> um, but if you're new to the podcast, please make sure you keep in touch with us. We want to hear your answers. We want to hear how this podcast is impacting you, what you're learning, what you like, what you don't like. All of that. You can keep in touch with our Instagram at embrace underscore podcast, or you can get in touch with us. Uh, I guess more intimately on Reddit, 
I feel like that's something that we, you know we can have more discussions on Reddit. Oh, yeah. So if you if you're a redditor, uh, you can reach us at uh, r backslash embrace underscore m o r. That's embrace underscore more. Uh, thank you guys so much for hanging with us, and we'll see you on our next episode. Peace. Thank you.